Definitively Speaking is a definitive healthcare podcast series recorded and produced in Framingham, Massachusetts. To learn more about healthcare commercial intelligence, please visit us at definitivehc.com. And welcome to the latest episode of Definitively Speaking, the podcast where we have data-driven conversations on the current state of healthcare. I'm Justin Steinman, Chief Marketing Officer at Definitive Healthcare and your host for this podcast. I'm joined today by my longtime friend, Brian Fugere, who's currently the Chief Product Officer at Simpler. Brian and I worked together for a brief time at GE Healthcare IT, and since then he's gone on and done some amazing things. First at Virens Health, the GE Healthcare IT spinout, then at Athena Health, before he joined Simpler in 2019 as CMO and CPO. Simpler is a hot, hot, hot company in the relatively quiet space of healthcare governance, risk management, and compliance, also known as GRC. I say it's a relatively quiet space because let's be honest, 15 years ago, there weren't a lot of people talking about GRC. But today, it seems like everyone in the healthcare space is talking about GRC, and if they're not, then they should be. Simpler is the industry leader in healthcare, GRC, so I thought it'd be fun to invite Brian to join me today to talk a little bit about the space, about Simpler's plans, and also talk a little bit about his career path, because this is a guy who's gone across the healthcare IT industry, across the United States, and across all different kinds of roles. Brian, welcome to Definitively Speaking. Hey, good morning. Pleasure to be here. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, all right. So let's get started with an easy question here. Many of our listeners have probably never heard of governance, risk management, and compliance, much less about the role of GRC in healthcare. What is GRC? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. Uh, GRC is actually a really big thing in other industries like the financial world. When they talk about GRC, they know exactly what it is. Uh, In healthcare, you are right that most people don't think of it in those terms. But governance, risk management, compliance really has to do with how you operate on a day-to-day basis and what controls you have in place for your processes to make sure that you're doing things the, the way that you should be. And if you think about how the healthcare industry is regulated and monitored, There are a lot of bodies who have a lot of interest in how you do what you do. And so the governance, risk management, and compliance part of it is all around living up to those standards. And so what we found actually over time is that the GRC moniker doesn't really resonate within healthcare because like I said, people just don't talk Mm -hmm. about it that way. Uh, But if you talk about it in terms of healthcare operations, It becomes a little bit more interesting and people start to resonate and understand, oh, well, you're not an EMR, you're not an ERP, and you don't do rev cycle. So you're kind of like everything in between. And if you can frame it up in that way, people start to really understand what it means. Got it. So talk to me more about like healthcare operations. What does that mean? What's the next level of detail there? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's a lot of everything. We provide solutions for credentialing. Uh, for physicians, for vendors, for your janitorial staff. We can do it on the payer side so that, so that physicians can, can be enrolled with the, uh, the, the plans themselves. Mm-hmm. And then you talk about sort of the day-to-day operations of contract management, spend management. So how do you spend your money? 
just general compliance processes, patient safety, all those types of things all fit into that sort of healthcare operation space. And the, the biggest one, which is really the biggest cost driver for the hospitals is just workforce management. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you recruit your talent? How do you manage your talent? How do you schedule and staff? All of that is changing and evolving so quickly. So that, that whole big picture of, of everything in between, not EMR, not ERP, not RevCycle. On a day-to-day basis, that's the guts of sort of how the hospital operates. And all of those systems add up to the sort of that hospital operations, that GRC space. Got it. But I mean, everything that you just said, hospitals have been doing for 300 years, 200 years, right? So what suddenly changed that really over the past 36 months or so, 48 months, past three to four years, where suddenly there's this big focus on this space, you know, do people wake up? Did they need to consolidate it? Was just stuff just kind of being done ad hoc on the side of their desk? What changed? Yeah, it, it, everything. That re, it's, it's exactly what you just said. What we found in talking to our customers is that they have somewhere between 50 and 300 individual point solutions that fit into that category, wow. hospital operations category. So if you're the CIO and, you, and your staff wakes up every day thinking about how do I manage 300 different vendors? How, how do I manage 300 different vendors? How, how do I manage the upgrades associated with 300 different systems, especially if they're on-prem or in the cloud? And some of them I have control, some of them I don't have control. You know, it's like your iPhone and the upgrade just shows up. <laughs> how do you manage that with your staff in the hospital? And so all of a sudden, the CIOs and, and the leadership in the hospitals are looking at this category saying, hold on, there's a better way to do this. And so can we gain some efficiency by having a partner or vendor who can provide more than one of these solutions to us? And what would it be like if we could actually integrate all of those together and share data across all these disparate systems? Can we gain some efficiencies there? And so given how tight the margins are in healthcare right now, any way that you can gain efficiency and save some money, that's a huge impact. So I know you keep saying you're not ERP, but it really sounds like you're kind of what you're doing now for operations, what ERP did for kind of back office 20 years ago. Yeah, that's right. And so, you know, I haven't, I haven't really figured out how to kind of to put a, a, um, a really tight descriptor on it. Like if you were, you know, if I put my marketing hat back on and you and I were just shooting it around, what does it look like and how do you kind of make this something simple? We haven't figured that out yet, but the reality is it's a it's a very uh, fragmented part of the healthcare market that hasn't gone through the historical consolidation that we've seen with the EMR space, which was 15 to 20 years ago when that started. ERPs went through a similar consolidation, and now there's just a handful of really well-known vendors. RevCycle has certainly gone through a bunch of consolidation with now Waystar, Availity, Change, as being an Optum is sort of being the four big players there. There's a couple new ones that are coming up, but the reality is it's still just a handful of really big vendors. Hospital operations space hasn't gone through that historically, and now it is. So Simpler is leading the way. RL Datix seems to be following a similar strategy, and even HealthStream seems to be pursuing a similar strategy. And maybe the three of us will emerge as sort of those bigger dominant wide, broad portfolio type companies. Got it. 
So I have to imagine interoperability then is a huge part of your business strategy. Right? I mean, you've got to work with Epic, you've got to work with Cerner, you've got to work with SAP, Oracle, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, talk to me about that. I mean, it's a data-driven podcast. So talk about how you're managing some of that data, the interoperability, and you know, do you have a partnership with Epic and Cerner and stuff like that? Yeah, we do with Epic for sure. We're working on one with Cerner, um, and we exchange data with Workday uh, today. And it really comes down to the customer-driven needs. And mm -hmm. what we're hearing from them are two things. One, we've got to be able to exchange data with the EMR um, so that they can, we can pull or the customers can pull data out of the EMR to help guide how they do what they do operationally. They also want the data to flow back into the ERP, especially around spend management, um, scheduling, uh, the impact of time and attendance um, so that they can, they can do payroll appropriately. Um, so there, there are a lot of interfaces um, that require integration at the edges of what we do. Mm -hmm. um, we definitely bump up against those bigger vendors, um, and we are trying to desperately not compete with them. But we do want to be partners with them um, where it makes sense for the customers. Because I think Epic does have some operation software, right? I know like they're kind of trying to go beyond the EMR and get into operation software. How is with their definition of operations different than your definitions of operations? You know, I think I, I think everybody's going to eventually end up defining it the same way. What will happen is that everybody's going to approach that space in the middle from a different starting point. We we the core of our company started in the credentialing space. Data started with patient safety. Um, Workday is encroaching because they're now offering time and attendance. Um, so they're coming out of the ERP space. Epic's coming out of the clinical side of the house. And so everybody will, I think we're eventually just going to kind of meet in the middle. And some will be stronger with certain aspects and, and different flavors of what they do um, than the others. And, and there's, there's just, there's so much space there. There's plenty of room for everybody to play. It's just for, we're going to have to play together nicely for the customer's benefit. Because if we don't work together, then it's going to hamstring our customers and we'll probably cost them more money than save them, which is <laughs> the opposite of what no, we should be. Doing. Not good. Definitely, definitely not good. Uh, so like, who are you selling to? Like, who's your customer? What's their job? What is this person wake? Who's the person who wakes up in the morning and goes, gee, I got to get myself some GRC today? <laughs> you know, it's interesting. We have lots of different buyers because it kind of depends on the product. Um, we talk to the CMOs, we talk to the CNOs, uh, CMIO, CNIO. So that whole sort of how do we manage the physician and nurse staff? Uh, we talk to the CFO and the um, supply chain people uh, because they will purchase a lot of our different products. Um, sometimes the COO gets involved. And then depending upon the scale and the scope of the deal, even all the way up to the CEO. And, and it really depends upon um, who has the, the driving need. Um, and it all wraps around, of course, into the world of the CIO. Mm -hmm. And um, they, they are becoming, we're also seeing sort of a change in the CIO role. They're becoming much more of an enterprise perspective than they have mm -hmm. in the past which is really interesting. Um, you know, the CIO historically has been, let's manage the systems, we'll keep things up and running. Um, now they are much more of an enterprise partner with the, the sort of the rest of the operators and enabling them to be successful in what they need to do. And so in our engagements, it's typically CIO plus 
CNO plus CMO. You know, those types of um, conversations are what really goes on. Got it. And for our listeners out there, when he's saying CMO, he's talking chief medical officer, not chief marketing officer. I'm the kind of, you know, the non-specialized CMO, the marketing guy. It's all the medical guys who got the training and are making the real difference in the world out there. That's Uh, right. You know, Brian, it's interesting to hear you talk about the changing role of the CIO at the hospital. Because a couple of weeks ago, we had on our podcast, Tim Bossy from System One, and he does healthcare staffing and recruiting. We're gonna, You and I are going to talk about that too in light of workforce management in a second. But Tim said, you know, he was telling hospitals and all his customers that they need to hire uh, chief talent officers and start looking more like a software company in order to keep yeah. people there. And now you're talking about the CIO taking a more of an enterprise approach. And the first thing that rang out in my bed is a guy who's been in software for 20 years is, well, that's how a CIO operates in every technology company. And so I'm connecting a dot here between what Tim said about staffing to what you said about CIOs. And it's almost like we're seeing a transformation of hospitals from, you know, you know, non-technology-based businesses or older school organization business models to very much 21st century business models where they look almost like a software company, uh, for lack of a better phrase, or another way to think about it. You know, because every software company, I know as a chief talent officer, we got to keep the people here involved. And so we're seeing this big evolution of how hospitals are structured and organized. What, what do you think about that? I, I think you're right. I think it's being driven by the margin pressure that they're feeling. And it, and they're looking to other industries for inspiration on how to operate more efficiently and to preserve whatever margin they can. If you think about the history of the healthcare market, the running joke was, you know, this is where technology goes to die. Yeah. And the adoption <laughs> of, of new tech, well, it's just, you know, it's the truth. The, the adoption of, of new technologies into healthcare outside of care delivery, which was always very innovative, um, had, was slow. And so that's changing now. And one of the, a perfect example is that 12 to 18 months ago, talking to our really big customers about moving from some of the legacy on-prem customer, uh, on-prem systems to the cloud, they're like, you know, whatever, come back to us when you're ready. We're not in any hurry. 12 to 18 months later, they're pulling us saying, oh, I want to go now. Interesting. And, and that's a major shift. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you say hospitals where technology goes to die, you know, I'm having, you know, PTSD back to our day selling EMR software together. Uh, <laughs> good Lord. <laughs> yeah, but it's all, changed. Yeah. It's very different now. I'm sure all of our EMR listeners out there are having the same PTSD that you and I are, are going right. through right now. Uh, right. You know, let's talk a little bit about uh, HIPAA and healthcare privacy, because when you talk about compliance and governance and risk management, there's got to be a big intersection between what you're doing and HIPAA. You know, protecting data um, is the is the thing that keeps me up at night. It is the only thing that really worries me about what we do and what our colleagues do across the industry. Patient data is the most important thing. The safety and management of it is crucial to any of any of our businesses and any of um, our colleagues across the industry. And we, um, we've recognized this and, and years ago made a ton of investment in our security. And I know a lot of our peers in the industry have done the same, but it's still an issue. You know, you still see the ransomware attacks that hit our customers, they hit other vendors in the industry and the impact that that's had 
uh, on our customers' ability to operate has been, it's just been catastrophic. And so I can't even imagine trying to operate a facility when your systems are just unavailable. And that's just not acceptable. And it's like the worst possible nightmare. And so I, the only good thing that has come out of these is that every, I think every vendor in healthcare has, has taken a minute to do a little self-reflection on their own systems and said, here's what we need to do to beef up our security to make sure that this doesn't happen to us and it doesn't happen to our customers. Um, because in the end, it's the patient that gets hurt and nobody wants that to happen. Let's shift talk a little bit about workforce management, which you mentioned earlier. You know, supplying workforce management, you must have some pretty interesting insights into what's going on in the healthcare workforce right now around trends. What what do you see in there? It's evolving rapidly um, as the work, the demands of the workforce change. Mm -hmm. And and so I was talking to a CNO a couple of weeks ago uh, about how they think through their scheduling processes. And what she was telling me is that, you know, historically it was, hey, we had all these nurses on staff. We'd schedule them on their regular schedules. You know, maybe they do some shift swapping. That's the level of complexity and that's it. Um, Today, Mm -hmm. the nurses are saying, hey, I want to work Tuesday from 10 to 2, Wednesday from 3 to 7, Thursday I'll work the whole day, Friday I need off because of my thing for my kids. I really don't want to work the weekend, but if I have to cover for somebody, you can put me on call. That is incredibly non-traditional. Yeah. And when you take that and you multiply that across 5, 10, 15,000 nurses, depending upon how big the hospital is, now you're looking at a scheduling and talent management challenge that is just massive. Orders of magnitude more difficult. So what we've, what we've, come to the conclusion that our customers have been asking for is maximum flexibility for finding talent, managing that talent, developing it, retaining it, and doing it in a way that meets the talent at least halfway. And so that means you need recruiting capabilities to go after, um, let's just stick with nurses. You Mm -hmm. You need to be able to get travel nurses. You need to be able to get um, basically gig economy type nurses where they work maybe three or four hours at a time you need full staff that you can recruit. And then once you get them all in the door, you got to be able to schedule them. You need to be able to manage them from a human capital perspective. So you need to, to do their performance assessments. You need to develop them as individuals from their talent and, and skills and experience perspective. You need to, to do all of the, um, long-term retention, and then, you know, eventually maybe you need to exit them. And so workforce management has gone way beyond the traditional time and attendance scheduling that um, is now a much more complex end-to-end sort of challenge for the hospitals. And it's forcing us to rethink how we do what we do. And, And our systems have to become much more flexible. We have to be open to partnering. Um, with different types of providers, we have to be flexible enough to deal with different types of business models become, because what we're starting to see now is that rather than paying an outside agency to go find short-term talent, the hospitals are standing up their own internal staffing agencies. Wow. That's different. That's new. 
And so um, we need to be able to provide them essentially a staffing, staffing agency in a box software because how you operate a staffing agency is very, very different from how you would operate a normal, let me go hire somebody and bring them on full-time on the deal. Yeah. You know, nursing just feels to me, we have a massive nursing shortage in this country, as I think we all know here. I mean, you know, 2 million nurses, the latest data that I saw is like, you know, the, the shortage of what we have. And I think that's probably underestimated, frankly. Yeah. Uh, and then the second thing you think about it, you know, you can do nursing remote, but only a certain kind of nursing remote. You can do, you know, the checkpoint, the patient, the monitor, the remote patient monitoring angle of it. But the reality is, is, you know, the nurses are the people literally on the very front lines doing the majority of patient care in between, you know, the periodic check-ins from the doctors or the surgeries or whatever. But the nurses are the people who have to be there and they get the long shifts and they get the, a lot of the patient complaints and they've got to make everybody comfortable and deal with all the triage. And you're right. I mean, it's a high stress job, but the world of work has fundamentally changed over the past 24 months. Right. And I think nursing is trying to change with it. And, you know, you talked to, I had never heard anybody use a gig economy nurse phrase before until you just used it. But <laughs> like, yeah, why wouldn't there be a gig economy nurse? Right. Right. Uh, but then how do you manage the credentials of that? And, you know, that's right. <laughs> that's a huge thing. And, you know, I could go be a gig economy nurse. I have zero training, zero credibility, but you got to find a way to go check out that Justin is who he says he is right before you start letting me lay hands on patients. That's uh, right. That's a whole new set of problems for hospitals to deal with. So right. how, how are they thinking through that kind of problem? Yeah. It, and it comes back to the well, our discussion we had earlier about integrating. And so there are, centralized nurse credential um, sources of information that you can integrate with to make sure that that information goes along with them. And it's much like when a physician changes hospitals, the, the credentialing process starts all back over again, and you have to credential them on the physician side or the facility side. You have to credential them on the payer side. It's very inefficient. And so we need some sort of centralized management of credentialing for both physicians and nurses to facilitate the movement of talent around the industry. Because I think the days of I'm attached to this one facility are, are coming to an end. Like they have the ability to do telehealth now. If you can practice in a facility, you could be a telehealth physician at night and you can treat a patient that's halfway around the world. Well, you know, you got to manage those credentials as part of that process. And the same for nurses. You know, they can do the same thing. It, it definitely is changing the paradigm of how, how we've thought about managing the, the caregiver provider type talent in the industry. You know, I, I have a question. I'm curious to hear your perspective on, you know, we're 12 episodes into this podcast series. You know, one of the things that has emerged, a, a kind of common topic of conversation has been the difference between the big academic medical centers, primarily in the urban areas, versus the challenges that many of the rural hospitals are facing around staffing, around organization, around finances. We've talked about that with a number of our guests. You know, you're in this operation space. Are you seeing a difference in how these AMCs are operating versus the rural hospitals or are there unique challenges faced by some of these rural hospitals that are out there? Yeah. The, I mean, the first challenge is just budget. I mean, they, they don't, their budget versus the big centers is just, it's so different. Mm -hmm. And 
And it forces us as a vendor partner to really think creatively on the financial side of how can we help them achieve what they need to achieve um, so that we can still get paid to do what we do. Um, but we want to do it in a way that's friendly for our um, customers. The other thing that um, the big thing I've noticed the difference of is that they are the rural hospitals and their leadership are often much more open to hearing best practices and different ways of doing things and, mm-hmm. and are willing to experiment and try if they think it's going to gain them even a point in margin. Um, because that's a huge impact on how they, they operate their business. Yeah. You know, you keep coming back to this margin. You know, some of the data that we were looking at recently here is that over the past two years, you know, hospital expenses on average have gone up three points while revenue has gone down two points. And so that is a five-point swing in profitability yeah. uh, pretty much across the board and, you know, already a tight margin business that's out there. So this really interesting pressure people are under. Yeah, I, I was talking to a CIO uh, from the West Coast at Hims a couple months ago, and he said that their whole system, which is ten to fifteen hospitals, is running at a one percent profit. I can't, I can't imagine that either. That's just crazy. I mean, it's like life yeah. and death every day on a financial, much less dealing with the life and death every day of the patients who you're trying to take care of. Yep. Uh, because you don't want to cut corners delivering that patient care. No, And, you know, every available dollar you need to route to that patient care and every dollar you're not spending on patient care, you're spending someplace else is you're wondering, well, could I spend that on patient care? How can I get it over there? And that's just a, a tough balancing act every day for the entire hospital executive leadership team to think through. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I want to ask you a little bit about something. I was surfing your website and I saw this fancy phrase, a provider data management platform. What's that? It's, it's an end-to-end uh, collection of solutions, or platform in this case, um, that enables a facility to manage the data associated with their providers from the minute the provider shows up through their entire tr- duration with that particular hospital. As an example, um, my son's a physician at NYU. He shows up and has to immediately go through the credentialing process. And so that requires him to provide information where he went to school, his training, et cetera. Then um, the staff takes over at that point and runs through the credentialing process with uh, joint commission and everybody else who wants to go look at it, and then provides that information to the payers so that you can do payer enrollment into the plans so that they can get reimbursed. That's the first most important thing. Get them credentialed and get them enrolled with the plans so that they can get paid. Because if they do anything prior to that, get reimbursed for it. And then you wanna let the people know, the patients know that that physician is actually there. And so we have a directory product that enables patients to search for physicians, schedule appointments, and figure out what plan coverage they, they have. And so you've now created an opportunity to to manage the information around that provider from the minute they walk in the door all the way through to their engagement with patients. And that information then you can extend to what is their contract structure like? How do they get reimbursed by the payers? Are we, are there, is there leakage um, from a referral perspective? And so 
there's a lot of downstream implications from how you manage that information as well. So it's really all about managing the information around your most important people asset in your hospital and then everything that kind of streams off of that. So let's talk a little bit about Simpler and, you know, your guy's strategy in the market. You know, not to ask you too basic question, but what's your point of differentiation here? What makes you guys special? You know, today, it's interesting. There's a We're taking our customers on a journey with us. Today, we're an enterprise provider of hospital operations and GRC solutions. That, what, that, what does that mean? It means we have a broad portfolio where you have a single vendor who can provide you multiple solutions. When you buy multiple solutions from a single vendor, you oftentimes get a nice healthy discount and you have one back to pad and one person to call when there's something going wrong. There's a lot of value in that. But it's not a sustainable differentiating value by any stretch. Um, so the strategy that we've uh, embarked upon is what we internally call the connected enterprise strategy. And for me, as the product leader, it's how do I take all these, these disparate products and integrate them in a couple different points? Um, the first one is a common look and feel. And we, everybody knows that Simpler has grown through acquisitions. We have really modern software. We have some legacy software that we've acquired that's 25, 30 years old. Um, so they all look and feel very differently, but we have a design system that we've created that we'll put on top of every one of them to create that integrated look and feel across the entire solution set. This is not rocket science by any stretch. Um, then we can tie them together at the workflow level. And this is where I think there's some really neat differentiation opportunities. If you can tie these solutions together at the workflow level and one an action in one triggers an action in another, but it doesn't automatically, think about how much time you could save. So let's take a patient safety incident, for example. Something happens to a patient, unfortunately, and there's a physician and a, and a care delivery team involved. The patient safety incident happens, it gets recorded in the patient safety uh, management system. It reaches the threshold where a peer review process has to happen. So Theoretically, you could automatically trigger, trigger that peer review to kick off. Well, in the peer review process, you're going to want to um, go out and get a bunch of information so that you can have it all in that review process for everybody to take a look at. Like, hey, what's the schedule for that day for not only the doctor, but for the nurses? What vendor representatives were on site that day and were they involved in the delivery of care when this incident happened? So you can go and you can see what vendors were on site and are they credentialed to be in the facility where they actually were. You might want to know what's the contract that's involved um, with that physician and, and what are the terms that their employment is associated with. You might want to know the talent profile for each of the people involved. What's their training background? Have they completed all the requisite courses? And so on and so on. Today, Whoever is managing that peer review process has to go and make phone calls or emails to go solicit all that information. Sometimes it shows up, sometimes it doesn't. If it does, maybe it's in the right format, maybe it's not. If I can connect all those systems and I can automatically make all that information flow, I'm going to save the hospital a ton of time, make them far more efficient and far more effective. So that's at the connected workflow kind of level. And then the last place we want to connect everything up is at the data level. So we talked earlier that in this operation space, most facilities have anywhere from 50 to 300 different systems. 
Imagine trying to integrate all that data into one single data mart, data lake, whatever you want to call it. That's a challenge. But if we can do that, if we can suck the data out of all of our systems, put it in one place and make it available to our customers, either through our own visualization tools or through theirs, nah, that's pretty cool. And now you have an opportunity to take a look at your data in a way that you can never do it in the past. And we can start to serve up some really cool analytics insights and we can support them with whatever their reporting requirements are to the government. There's some value if you can pull off all three of those things. That's a differentiator that Epic and Cerner have today in the EMR space on the clinical side, you know, that the ERP vendors have because of the consolidation that they all went through years ago. This is the type of consolidation that the operation space is going to go through now. Got it. So you talk about operations. You know, I, I feel like every time I turn around, I read another press release saying Simpler bought a company. How many companies <laughs> have you guys bought? Uh, in the three years that I've been here, I think we've done 11 acquisitions. Oh my God. So that's like what? Three a year? Four one, a year? Yeah. One a quarter. One a quarter. <laughs> I think last year it was one every other month. Oh my God. It's going to be high stress. <laughs> it, it definitely puts a strain on the organization, um, but it's a muscle that we've developed and feel pretty good at flexing. Um, we've like anything you do, you get better with it the more times you do it. And um, I think our latest sort of two acquisitions that we closed earlier this year have gone exceptionally well. Um, the, the, team, we've, the teams are happy and excited to be with us. And they see the opportunity of what we're doing and, and really want to go join us on that journey. So we're coming to the end here, but I, I did tease earlier that we talk about your career journey. And I usually don't go too deeply into my guest professional backgrounds, but yours is, I've always found it interesting, right? Because I mean, I'm just going to walk through here and this is nuts, right? So you started out as an intelligence officer in the U.S. Air Force, and then you did technical product development for America Online, one of the first major consumer internet service providers. Then you decided to go do a stint in marketing at GE Healthcare and Virens Health, and now you're running product at Simpler. So, A, that's really impressive. And B, how the heck does a U.S. intelligence officer go to AOL, to GE Healthcare, to running product that's simpler? What's the red thread here, man? You know, uh, it's interesting. When I look back now, I, I think I'm old enough to look in the mirror and say a third of my career was in marketing, a third of it was in product, and a third of it is sort of executive leadership type roles. And and the ability to move back and forth between the different types of jobs within the software industry, especially within healthcare software, has given me a unique perspective on how we can make our products, services, offerings, whatever the case may be, better for our customers than I would if I had been sort of a single stream product person. Because the amount of customer contact that I've had over the years and really understanding what they're going through and helping to create and deliver things for them um, has been just a unique opportunity that I'm really so thankful for because I know that the thing, some of the things that I've created along the years are still in use today, even though they've been bought and sold multiple times. Software that I created back at AOL is still available today. During my time at Stryker, I built some systems that have been sold two or three times, but are still in. In fact, my wife's orthopedic surgeon uses software that I created 17 years ago. Um, it's really kind of rewarding to see it when that happens. And 
I don't think I'd be able to do that unless I had the ability to go back and forth between marketing and product and really understand what's going on in the market so that we could deliver some really cool, compelling products and services. Yeah. So I, I agree with you. The guys floated between product and marketing. There's really just two sides of the same coin. Uh, yeah. All right. So thanks for a great conversation. But I just want to know, you know, in closing here, what's next for Simpler and what's next for Brian? For Simpler, we're going to continue build, uh, building out our portfolio for sure. Um, there's a ton of opportunity in the spaces that we're in today. There's a ton of opportunity in the adjacencies um, that we're looking at. Um, so I'm really looking forward to seeing sort of how we continue to transform, how we continue to consolidate this operation space um, and, and really bring and deliver value to our customers. And, and that kind of partnership is what I'm looking forward to. Uh, for me, uh, who knows? This is such a fun ride right now. I'm enjoying every single day of it. And then we'll see where it goes after this. Um, I was a CEO years ago and wouldn't mind getting back to that. But even if that never happens, just being able to deliver for our customers, um, that that's what gets me out of bed every day. I hear you. Well, Brian, thanks for taking the time to talk with me today. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, my pleasure. And thanks you all for listening to Definitively Speaking, a Definitive Healthcare podcast. Please join me next time for a conversation with Scott Seidelman, Chief Commercial Officer at OmniCell, about the next generation of pharmacy and medication management and why a robot may soon be filling your prescription. If you like what you've heard today, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. To learn more about how healthcare commercial intelligence can support your business, please follow us on Twitter at DefinitiveHC or visit us at DefinitiveHC.com. Until next time, take care and please stay healthy.